If, uh, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, boy, Pastor just got up and announced the dinners, and Preston just announced that, you are not crazy, I am. Okay, I don't know how I missed it, and I thought he didn't say it, and I was in my own little world over there, so, um, so I did get announced twice, all right? And if you caught that, then you are sane, all right? And, uh, and if you didn't, then you're probably with me, okay? And that's, I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, Revelation chapter number 3 we continue our, our messages to the churches, uh, and these, again, these messages were given to churches that did exist uh, in their day, and all of these churches are located, um, I just forgot the, the country, over in the Middle East, uh, they're all in one area, basically not too far from each other, and, uh, and so uh, they're over there, and they did exist as churches, and these were messages probably right to those literal churches as well. And, uh, of course, there is so much application that applies afterwards, even to us. And, uh, again, I'm not, um, I've said this several times, but I'm not denying because there's a lot of uh, truth to the fact of church ages that do exist and smarter minds than myself have put those things together and there probably is something to that without a doubt. Uh, but I also believe that uh, uh, that would be an application of that. Another application of that is that it very well applies to our churches today and different states that the church individually can be in in its own uh, right. And so uh, I, that's kind of how we've been looking at this. And uh, notice with me in, in Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 7, the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." 
And let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness. Thank you for uh, just the fact or the privilege and the strength that we have to be here tonight. And God, I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray, Father, that you would bless each and every hearer. And God, I pray that you'd give us understanding and uh, hearts and minds tonight to receive your word. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. God will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray amen as we look at this passage a couple of notes about this right off the the beginning is that this also is a message there was one other church which there was really no negatives given uh, to the church and this is one of those churches in which really no negatives were given to it Uh, One of the things I did notice as I was reading through it is in verse number 8. Look at all of the attributes that are attributed to Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, if you notice, many I think when I hit this one is where I really started to recognize, hey, these attributes really carry over into the message, and it becomes very so clear in this passage. Look there in verse number 8. He says, "I um, I know thy works... No, go back to verse number 7. I'm sorry, verse number 7. He says, to, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy. And so we have him described as holy, that is true. In other words, he is, uh, he is the truth. Obviously, the Bible would say that. Uh, he that hath the key of David, and he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. There is more descriptive attributes given to Jesus Christ in this passage than there are to all the other churches. Uh, most of the churches have about four attributes, uh, some of them a little less, about three that are, are labeled, but this has quite a few that are given to him. Uh, and the church in, in and Philadelphia was receiving this message. I love the idea here that he mentions at the very end, he that openeth and no man shutteth. And, uh, and then he goes on and says, and shutteth and no man openeth. We can clearly see that Jesus is the one that holds the keys to certain doors that only Jesus Christ can open. There are no, uh, there's no man that can open these things and close these things. Only the God of heaven, and specifically Jesus Christ, as it's applied to him, is the only one that is able to open and close these doors. And I just found that interesting, the way it was descri- described there, uh, and that he hath the key of David. And, uh, and so that's very interesting as they describe all of those things. Of course, in verse number 8, we get to the message where he starts uh, his message to the church. And, of course, he starts out in the very beginning, I know thy works. And uh, in verse number 8, I put down that Christ's observations of this church. And uh, and these are some of the observations. Look at what he starts out. He says there in verse number 8, he says, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. 
And, uh, and so one of his observations that he's giving is that he has opened a door of service to them that no man can shut. In other words, hey, uh, God has opened up the opportunity to serve. Uh, maybe it's in a place. Uh, specifically, this was in Philadelphia. And, uh, and maybe God had opened up something special for those in Philadelphia that they could serve the Lord in that place. Hey, listen, you can't serve if there is not an open door in a place. For example, um, tonight, we are located physically in Massillon, Ohio. Uh, it would be difficult for us to serve right now in Pakistan. We just we physically wouldn't be able to go there and, and minister. Uh, there's many countries, I'm not for sure about Pakistan, but there's many countries, the doors are closed. You cannot, as a missionary, uh, get into those places. And if you can, uh, they are constantly looking for people because they're going to throw them out of their country. We would not be able to get into Russia tonight. Um, we would not be able to minister to those people that are there. The door is not open to us. And, uh, and sometimes there are obstacles and there are things that only God can open up for us. Even if we desired, we would not be able to go. Even if we uh, thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my, uh, my identity and all of that. I mean, there are just some things that God has limited and closed doors to us that we are just not able to do some of those things. But God has opened to us doors as well. And there are ministry opportunities that you and I have that perhaps other people don't have. And, uh, and we ought to use those open doors as an opportunity to serve the Lord. He says, I have set before thee an open door. And listen, I don't know what doors God has opened up for you. Uh, but maybe God has given you unique opportunities and unique places that you can serve. I, I think I've uh, testified of this before, but in Peru, uh, we were at church and one day a, a young lady came to our church and, and she's, Pastor Freddie and I, uh, she said, hey, Pastor Freddie and, and, and Brother Shane, she's like, I want you guys to go visit my uncle who's in prison. And I said, okay, we'll try and do that. I had never been to, I didn't know anything about the prisons in Peru. I had never, uh, the door had never been opened for me even to go to the prison. I didn't know anybody in the prison. It's not like there's a rock of ages in Peru. Uh, there was, I knew absolutely nobody in the prison system. But when she came and said, hey, my, my uncle's in prison, will you go see him? And I looked at Pastor Freddie and he said, yeah, we'll, we'll go do that. I said, how do we do that? He said, I have no idea, but we'll find out. And you know what we did? We went down and we found out. And turns out uh, we couldn't go in as clergy. Uh, but you know what we could do? We went in as visitors. And there was nobody visiting this guy because they have limited amounts of visits. So you know what? The Lord opened a door for us to be able to go into the prisons and present the gospel to that guy. And that guy got saved as a result of that. It was an open door that God opened up for us and allowed us to get into that place. And we, we got to give uh, testify to many people in that prison. And, and uh, I don't know anybody else that has a prison ministry in Peru. And, and we had a window of opportunity that we were able to get in there and to give the gospel to those people that were in the prisons. 
And so what I'm saying is, hey, we need to be watching for doors that are opening up to us that maybe you have a unique opportunity to reach people that I may never know. Uh, and you have doors open to you. And God is saying to them, hey, uh, that he set a door before them that was open. Maybe it's a door of a place. Maybe it's a door of people. Uh, you know, you know people that I don't know. And, uh, and you may have opportunity to reach people that I may never have an opportunity to reach. And I'm just saying that we need to be observing uh, of those doors that God would open up to us and find the places of service that we can serve. Because we all have different uh, abilities, different places, and different doors to us. But here, God is saying, hey, to the church at Philadelphia, I have opened a door to you. And no man has shut it. And no man can shut it. So we see the service that God had opened up to them. Look there in the next phrase. He says, For thou hast a little strength. I read that, and I scratched my head, and I thought, man, I have no idea what that means. So I looked up a couple of commentaries, and guess what? They didn't really have much of an idea of what it means either. They said, well, it could mean this, and it could mean that. And, uh, and I, I reread it again, and, uh, and just looking at the context, this is maybe one application that I thought it would, is very certainly fitting within the entirety of the text. And this, look at how he phrases it there. Go back in verse number 8. He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength. And I thought, as I read that, God is, uh, is showing to us that there are things that God can do that we physically cannot. And he makes it a point, and he says, For thou hast a little strength. It doesn't matter how powerful you may be in intelligence. It doesn't matter how powerful you may be in, in desire or internal strength, intestinal fortitude, we say. Uh, it doesn't matter how strong you are in, in social influence. You may have a lot of social influence and be very powerful. Uh, it doesn't matter how strong you are physically. Um, in other words, God is saying... All of those things, your mental ability, your intestinal fortitude and courage and your uh, physical strength or your social affluence can all be used for good. There's no doubt about that. But in the end, it is God that is going to do something. In other words, we may have abilities to be able to do some things. And praise the Lord, use your ability to the best of our ability, but in the end, we cannot and should not depend upon our abilities, but rather on God's strength to open the door and give us an open door to serve Him in those areas. We ought to, we ought to do the best we can. I'm not against uh, having, having a, a good powerful mind to be able to uh, comprehend and learn things. I'm not against having great social influence. Some people are far better at that than other people. And, and I think, hey, if we're using those things for the honor and glory of God, praise the Lord. But again, we ought not get caught up in all the methodology and all the things. And we ought to say, we'll use all of those to God's honor and to God's glory, but we have to be dependent upon God. A lot of places 
will put everything into the program. And their program runs so smooth. I've often thought of this. Um, you, you look at uh, false religions. And we had a lot of false religions in Peru. And, uh, and you look at, at missionaries who, who come to the, to the field, not Baptists, but cults. And you know what? They go to the field and you know what they do? Um, they go knock on doors and you know what happens? They build a, a church. I'm using that word as, a, as an assembly, a, cult, a group of people that gather. Um, and and they, they build, build, build big buildings and they gather people together. Why is that? Because the methodology will work without the power of God. But God help us if we ever get to the place where we're running purely on methodology without the Spirit of God. And God makes that a point. He says, uh, he says there, He says, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. And so he's saying, hey, don't be dependent on your own abilities and your own strengths, but depend upon God for the doors that he opens and closes and take those opportunities to serve him. Not only that, but he says there in verse number 8, he says, and hast kept my word. And I put down for that submission. Not only do we have service and strength, but we have submission there to God's word. Kept is past tense. And this was something that they had done well. He is observing this of them. Hey, that they have been faithful to obey the Word of God. Uh, listen, we ought to be challenged to obey the Word of God. We read about this church. God doesn't say anything negative about this church. As a matter of fact, uh, He says, hey, you have kept my Word. Boy, I want to be known as a church that would keep the Word of God. I want to be known as a church that would, would obey and submit ourselves to the Word of God and follow the Word of God. And I believe we are. I believe we need to continue to do that and to stand uh, for those things. Not only does he say that thou hast kept my word, and we find submission that he observes about them, but notice there in the last phrase he says, and hast not denied my name. They stand for Christ. They took a stand for Christ. Hey, listen, we need to continue to stand. I tell you what, in, in, in Christianity and in a battle, sometimes it gets wearisome. Uh, sometimes we, we, get, we get tired. We say, man, uh, you know, all the world is against us. All the wickedness is against us. And yes, they are. And sometimes it can be wearisome. But look with me, go into Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. And we find this verse that is encouraging here in Ephesians chapter number 6. He's giving them, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, he tells them in verse number 12 that, uh, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, it's a spiritual battle that we are fighting. But then he goes in verse number 13 and he says uh, in Ephesians 6, 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand Stand, in verse number 14, therefore, 
having your loins squirt about with the truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all all saints. And he says there in verses 13 and 14, hey, that we are to stand. We got to continue standing and we got to continue standing for what is right. We got to continue standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not going to do that on our own. We've got to have the armor of God. Hey, we've got to have all of those things that are listed there. God gave us all the tools that we need to be able to stand in the day of battle. He's equipped us. And so we see some observations, and he was, con he was telling them, hey, you've done good because you have not denied my name. They were not without opposition either, because he goes on in verse number 9 back in Revelation, and he talks about the opposition, uh, and that's what he says there in verse number 9. Look at what it says. He says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet. We find opposition in this church in Philadelphia. And listen, though he doesn't say anything bad about them, uh, they certainly did face opposition. Sometimes we think, boy, are we the only ones that are fighting opposition? No, everyone's fighting opposition. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. There is opposition. There is no uh, rest, if I can say it that way, from the spiritual battle until we get to heaven. And then we enter into eternal rest. And boy, we look forward to that day. And God will give us some reprieves here and there. But I'm just saying that there we are in a spiritual battle. He says in verse 9 that, uh, that they were of the synagogue of Satan. And uh, again, there's a lot of symbolism throughout the book of Revelation. And I don't know exactly what the synagogue of Satan is. But if you break it down this way, I do know this, that the Bible says that Satan is a liar and he is the father of lies. And I don't find it, in, I find it, uh, I find it interesting here that it says, uh, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. In other words, they were proclaiming to be something that they are not. And uh, listen, there are many false religions that claim they are the only way to heaven or they are the only way uh, to get to God. But listen, they clearly are not. And, uh, and the Bible says that Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. And, uh, and so here we have others that are opposing the church and perhaps they were undermining what they were doing. Perhaps they were mocking what they were doing. We don't know how the opposition came about. Maybe they were proclaiming that they were Jews and that therefore they were original and they knew what the Bible said and, and they, were, they could speak more authoritatively than the church there in Philadelphia. I don't know what the opposition was. All I know is that they had opposition and that the language that's used here in the Bible is very strong in opposition to them, calling them the synagogue of Satan. 
Boy, that's pretty strong. Um, and, and it is strong, but you know what? God said it. Uh, I didn't say it. And so uh, I'm just saying that he pointed out that they were false people who did not believe what they said they believe, they were, uh, or who, did, who were not what they said they were, rather. They were liars. And, uh, and so he uses some very strong language calling them the synagogue of Satan. But look at what he says about that. He says, behold, in the middle of verse, I will make them come to worship before thy feet. Not only do we see the synagogue of Satan in their opposition, but we see that God is going to put them in subjection to the church in Philadelphia. They're not going to be worshiping the church at Philadelphia. Understand that. God alone is, is worthy of worship. He's the only one to be worshiped. But they will come and worship before the feet of the church of Philadelphia. And listen, uh, God's power and God's wisdom and God's great ability is incredible when you look at that. In other words, those who had opposed uh, this church in Philadelphia, God's going to bring them right under the feet of the church of Philadelphia, and, and they're going to want to join the church of Philadelphia. They're going to recognize, oh, this is truth. This is the word of God. This is, these are the things that are right, and, uh, and God is going to place them uh, in, in, in subjection to the church there in Philadelphia. And he says this, he says, uh, and to know that I have loved thee. Not only is he going to bring them in subjection, but he's going to prove to them, hey, God's saying, I am going to prove that you are the church that's right. You're the church that's following God. You're the church that's living right. And that you're the church that my heart uh, loves and cares about uh, there in Philadelphia. Boy, how I, I want to be that church that says, man, we are standing, we are walking with God. When I read that, I thought, of course, in the Old Testament of Enoch and how he walked with God. And then the Bible says, and he was not, for God took him. Boy, that fellowship with God between Enoch and God was so sweet that God said, you know what? Hey, I, man, I, I just want you up here for all of eternity. And, and just brought them to heaven. And, uh, and God is saying, hey, I am going to make your opposition understand and realize that you are the church that I love and that I care about and that you're holding fast the things of God. And so these are, these are some of the things that are going to take place to the opposition. Not only that, but look in verse number 10. And he says this, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. In other words, there's, there's a result that is about to come, but it is about to come about because they were obedient to the word of God. Look what he says there about it. He says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And he spares the church of Philadelphia. And he's saying, hey, I am going to keep you. It is a result of their obedience. You know, we're often, I often uh, note in the word of God, and rightfully so, that sin will be punished. 
And it will. We need to be aware of that. We need to be very much so alert to that. And most of the time, uh, I feel like that is the uh, very pertinent thing that we need to be aware of. But on the other side of that is God also rewards those who live right and do right. There's no doubt about that. And we need to be aware of that. May we be blessed with that thought and that idea. And that's what he's telling them there. He says, I'm going to spare you. Uh, you're not going to get caught up in the tribulation uh, that's going to come and that the whole world is going to feel. And, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to keep that from you. And, uh, and that temptation, of course, could be one of two things. It could be tempted to do evil. But I tend to think, based on the words of this, that it's more likely a trial or trouble that is going to come on the world. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to keep that from you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to spare you of, of that trial and of that trouble that is coming and, uh, because you have been obedient to the word of God. And so we find that there in verse number, uh, verse number 10 that he describes that. We see, his we see his observations that he makes of them in, in, eight. We see the, uh, in verse 8. We see the opposition in verses 9 and 10 and the fact that they're going to be spared because of their uh, obedience to the word of God. But then in verse number 11, there's some things that he tells them that they need to do. Look at what he says in verse number 11. He says, behold. I, saw, I thought, what does that word mean, behold? We use it. Well, we don't really use it today. But you know what? It, I looked it up, and here's what it means. To direct the eyes to or fix them upon an object to look. And Jesus is telling the church there in Philippi, or, or not Philippi, Philadelphia, he's telling the church there, hey, behold, look, observe. And so he gives them a command. He says, observe, take note, fix your eyes upon this. I come quickly. Boy, praise the Lord for God's coming. Hey, as a Christian, we look forward to it. Uh, I, I heard, I can't remember if it was Brother, uh, I can't remember who it was that said it, Brother Sam Davison or, or uh, another fellow, but, but he said this, we ought to be careful that we don't love the Lord's coming because of the wickedness that is around us, but rather that we would love the Lord's coming because we love the Lord. And we want to see Him. That's a great truth. We ought to love the Lord. And we ought to love the fact that He is coming and desire to see Him, not because we're tired of the battle that we face every day and not because we're tired of the wickedness, but that rather that we love the Lord and we want to see Him. The Bible says this uh, in, in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 12 and 13. It says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he tells us, Behold, I come quickly. quickly. Observe, set your eyes, look for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, as Christians, we had to look for the Christ's coming. What a blessing. He reminds them, hey, I am coming again. He left us a promise in Acts 1.8 uh, that, that he will return, or just prior to Acts 1.8, uh, he said, I, I will 
come again. He told him in John 14, I will come again. And the promise has been iterated over and over and over throughout Scripture. It is something that he reminds us of from time to time. And he told the church there at Philadelphia, Behold, observe, fix your eyes upon the fact that I come quickly. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 I won't say they're my favorite verses because I have a lot of favorite verses. But they are some great verses. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together uh, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It goes on in the next verse and it says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Boy, what a comforting thought. Man, I look forward to the rapture. I've said it many times. I, I don't know how it'll be. But I look forward to that day that Jesus Christ comes. Man, we, I, I don't know if we'll float slowly. I don't know if we'll ascend rapidly. Uh, I don't know how it will go. Uh, but I do know this. Man, what a day that Jesus Christ will come back. What a day to listen for the trumpet. What a day that we can look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and His message to the church is, hey, I'm coming again. The same message that, he's, that, that we've been preaching for 2,000 years. You say, preacher, it's been a long time. Almost 2,000 years, he still hasn't come back. Listen, he's going to. He promised he would. I don't doubt that he will. He is going to come. It could be in our lifetime. It could be later. I don't know when he's going to come. And he made it clear that we would not know. But I can tell you this, he is going to come. And we look forward to that coming. And he says, behold, observe, I come Quickly, Not only does he tell us to observe that he's coming, the second coming, but rather as well, look at the verse number 11. He says, Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Not only does he tell us to observe his second coming and be looking for it, but he tells us to observe, uh, to secure those things that we have. That would be to hold fast, to not let go, to continue. Boy, we're so tempted to, to uh, slow down. We're so tempted to uh, back up and, and to not continue forward. Listen, he's making it clear. Hey, you keep going. Hey, you, you, uh, you're doing good in what you're doing, and I want you to continue holding fast. Be... be uh, be sub submissive to the Word of God. Be standing for the cause of Christ. Be serving in the doors that I open for you. Hold fast those things that we have and continue to press on. And look at what he says, the reason that we ought to do that in verse number 11 there that we're at. He says that no man take thy crown. In other words, hey, we keep serving. We keep faithful all the way to the end, because God's going to bless us. God's going to reward us. And there is certainly a reward for us to continue faithfully. I look around in our church, and I love our church, and, and it blesses my heart to know, man, there are people 
just been faithful since day one. Hey, be faithful. I love seeing, I'm, I'm grateful for new faces. I really am. But I love seeing people who have just been faithful and faithful and faithful through the years. Hey, keep being faithful to the Lord. Stand strong. Don't give up the faith. Hold on to those things that God has allowed us to do and continue serving and be faithful because there's a crown in the end. He said, hey, I don't want you to lose that. Be faithful to the Lord. Look at what he says there in verse number 12. We've looked at this before. We won't cover all of these things. There's so many things there in verse number 12. As I reread it, I thought, boy, there's, a, there's more things in verse number 12 that he gives to the overcomer than he gives, I believe, in any of the other passages. But look at what he says there. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. I have to say this, I've said it each time. The overcomer is laid out for us in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, that's salvation. Those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, they are the overcomers. And he says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Not only that, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, have uh, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He's saying, hey, I'm, I am going, you are secure in your salvation for all of eternity. You'll be a temple, or you'll be a pillar in the temple, and, and I'm going to write upon you the name of God, and you'll bear it with you for all of eternity. What does all of that mean? I don't know what it all means, but I know this. Well, we got a lot to look forward to in heaven. What a blessing to know all of these things. And, and, and we'll see when we get there. I'm sure God will, uh, it'll be more clear to us. And we'll say, oh, that's what that is. Uh, but I know this, that there is a lot. Uh, you go back over all that he's promised to the overcomers, that his name won't be blotted out. And you go back and you can find them all. And, and he wrote all of those things that he gives to those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. What a blessing to know that. And then verse 13, he closes as he closes out every message to the churches. He that hath an ear to hear, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We ought to be attentive to what God is speaking to us in the book of Revelation. We only got one more church and then we're going to dive into the book of Revelation but what a blessing to look at the messages. Boy, the church of Philadelphia was, compared to many of the other churches, was a good church. We ought to strive to be that church. We ought to be encouraged that, hey, a church even that would face opposition can stand for uh, what is right and, and, and live following the word of God. And oh, how we ought to desire to have that kind of a testimony that the church in Philadelphia would have. And to recognize it's not our strength. 
It's not our abilities. But we take the open doors as God gives them to us and we serve the Lord and we follow and obey what God would have us to do. What an opportunity and what a privilege we have really to serve the Lord. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, what a blessing to know that this church was living for God. What a, what a, what a testimony that it is to us. Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can. God, I pray that you would help us, encourage us, strengthen us. God, as we look at this church, that, uh, that you made observations. Boy, they stood for you. They were submissive to your work. God, they served, and though they had little strength, God, they, uh, they depended upon your strength and your ability and your open doors to minister and to work. And God, may we seize opportunities that open up before us. God, I pray that you'd help us as we minister. God, I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us and help us to stand, help us to be faithful, help us to serve till the end. Father, like this church in Philadelphia, God, we'll certainly thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for that. God, we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn.